Hey everyone, welcome to Brain Health with Dr. Nissen. In this show, we explore the universe's great unknown, the human brain. In my reflections and interviews with guests, we'll go to the forefront of psychiatry, neuroscience, nutrition, and medicine to see how we can enhance our mental health, sharpen our cognition, and reach better performance. This is Brain Health, and I'm Dr. Nissen. Let's dive right in. Welcome to Brain Health with Dr. Nissen. Today we are talking about a very misunderstood mental illness, and that is schizophrenia. Uh, so I, I see people all the time in the hospital or in the clinic who say that they have been diagnosed with um, with schizophrenia in the past. And one of the most common things that people tell me is that when I ask them, "Well, what does this mean to you? Do you think that you actually have this?" They think it means that I have split personalities and schizo. The the um, kind of one of the origins of the word, it does mean split, but it actually is, as we'll talk about in a little bit, means that there's a splitting between your, uh, or at least it's theorized that there's a splitting between your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors, and it really doesn't have to do with personality at all. Uh, so uh, we'll talk a little bit about what schizophrenia is, and something that, you know, for those of you that aren't interacting with people that have schizophrenia, who don't have family members of schizophrenia, something that is really high yield for everyone out there is the implications of marijuana and schizophrenia. It's something that I'm very passionate about and something uh, that we uh, will start by talking about in this. So let me just first orient you all to what is schizophrenia. And um, schizophrenia is actually diagnosed uh, when somebody has a period of six months or more that they're having two or more of the following symptoms. And these can be delusions. So these are fixed, non-bizarre beliefs that exist um, despite there being evidence in the contrary. So this would be somebody thinking that, uh, for instance, that um, their uh, neighbor is uh, maybe associated with the, FT, with the FBI and, uh, and has been spying on them. Uh, it's not I mean, I guess it's that that's somewhat of a bizarre example, but uh, but still, it's possible. It's just very unlikely, and no matter how much evidence you come up against it, uh, they, they would still continue to have it. So, so that'd be a delusion. Um, another one of the symptoms they could have would be hallucinations. So that would be seeing things. Um, most commonly, they see people or sort of uh, shadows or figures of people. Um, another thing would be disorganized speech. Um, so this would be like if you're talking to somebody and they're talking about going to the store and then all of a sudden they're talking about birds and how birds fly. Um, it's, it's totally, there's derailments like that. Um, there's incoherent speech. Um, there can be disorganized or catatonic behavior. So, you know, some, all of a sudden somebody uh, is, you know, uh, stacking things in their house or their, um, uh, you know, going out and dancing and uh, in the streets for, for no reason. Uh, these are sort of like disorganized behaviors um, or what could be seen as catatonic or negative symptoms where suddenly they're, um, they're hardly moving at all. It's like they're made out of wax. Um, if you were to move their body part, it might stay there wherever you move it to. Uh, so these are some examples of the symptoms. Um, and so these symptoms, two or, more, two or more of these exist for a period of at least six months in order to have schizophrenia. So schizophrenia, I wanted to talk about because it is a relatively common mental illness and it causes severe impairment uh, throughout people's lifetimes. And, and there is at least, there are at least some things that we can do to prevent schizophrenia. And that's what I wanted to start talking about. And this is related to marijuana. So. You know, marijuana right now is kind of 
interesting in that um, it's getting a lot of attention um, as it's being legalized and it's being embraced in a, a lot of um, instances. There's, there's different organizations doing research on it for uh, treatment of different mental illnesses. So maybe there's some beneficial things about marijuana. Maybe there's some unbeneficial or bad things about marijuana. I feel moved to talk about marijuana and, schizophren and schizophrenia because I see over and over and over that of my patients with schizophrenia, they were heavy marijuana users in their adolescent and early young adult years. And that's actually been something that's been known for a long time. And now some people seem to believe that that's not true, but really there's pretty good research pointing to the fact that there is risk for triggering schizophrenia by uh, smoking marijuana heavily in young adulthood and in adolescence. And so there are two reasons why I think it is a terrible idea to smoke marijuana heavily as an adolescent or young adult. The first reason is that if we were to take marijuana and classify it as a drug, just like how we classify other drugs, we have you know antidepressants, there's anxiolytic or anti-anxiety medications, marijuana would be an anti-motivation medication. It'd be, so you know, in somebody, perhaps there are certain people who are kind of overly sort of motivated or intense, and maybe those people might, you know, feel like marijuana makes them better, but for somebody that is in adolescence or young adulthood, the last thing that you want to do is take something that's going to cut out your motivation. Your, your drive, your, your drive to succeed and, and make something of your life. You want to keep as much of that as possible as a young adult and as, as an adolescent. So that is the number one reason why I think it's a terrible idea to smoke marijuana heavily as a young adult. But the second reason is that you could trigger schizophrenia in yourself. Um, so uh, I think that there's pretty good evidence about this, like I was saying, and this, this is all through genes. And so it's actually something that um, that uh, it, you can check for by getting a, a genetic test done. Uh, so um, I, I use 23andMe. There's you know lots of these sort of consumer genetic testing reports out there that you can do. And what they do is when they um, you know do your genetic sequ sequencing, you get a report and you can actually search within your genes for the specific genes that have, have been, that have been found to be likely connected to developing schizophrenia. Uh, and those would be uh, genes related to your dopamine uh, function, and then genes related to, the, it's called the AK, AKT1 gene variation. So again, the ones related to dopamine, this is COMT, um, and then the one related to, um, the other one is AKT1. So you can search and you can see whether or not you um, are at increased risk of developing schizophrenia by drink, by smoking marijuana, uh, by checking to see if you have these um, abnormal genes. So for the COMT genes, um, there's about a it looks like about a three to five time risk of developing schizophrenia uh, if you have a valval variant of the COMT gene, and you have around a seven times increased risk. Of developing schizophrenia if you have the CC uh, variant of the AKT1 gene. So these are, um, you know, some clear genetic ways that you can know uh, whether you might be at increased risk of developing schizophrenia 
by smoking marijuana. So I say to all people, to all parents, um, be very careful with your kid, your adolescent, your young adult smoking marijuana heavily if you don't know what their genetic status is. If it's something you want to check, it can be done using something like 23andMe. And, um, you know, if you aren't at increased risk, you know, and you just want to take something that lessens your motivation, go ahead. Um, uh, I mean, smoking anything is bad for your lungs also, but, um, you know, go ahead. Uh, if you uh, are worried about um, developing schizophrenia and you have those risks, then it's definitely something that you should avoid. All right. So that, um, that is that with regards to the marijuana component of, of schizophrenia. But schizophrenia, aside from the genetic risks related to marijuana, there are genetic risks um, that, that demonstrate that as a mental illness, you know, there's a strong biological component. And this is happening for just about every mental illness out there, for depression, for PTSD, for uh, bipolar disorder. We're seeing, for addictions as well, we're seeing the ways that genetics, you know, kind of may put us at risk. So um, they, they did studies looking at twins um, for those that have schizophrenia. And in monozygotic twins, these are the twins that, um, that are genetically identical, um, it is shown that there's a 50% concordance of schizophrenia. So that means that um, if there's two identical twins and one sibling has schizophrenia, there's a 50% chance that the other sibling will have schizophrenia. Now, for the whole population, it's only about a 1% risk of developing schizophrenia. So it means that there's a 50 times greater risk of developing schizophrenia if your um, identical twin has it. This drops if you're twins but you're non-identical to 10%. And then um, for siblings, um, I think actually, yeah, it's, it's the same. It's 10% for um, first-degree relatives and non-identical twins. So... Um, so, you know, you have a 10 times risk of developing schizophrenia if you have a first degree relative that has schizophrenia. Um, so, you know, it shows that there's clearly a genetic component here. And basically, the way to think about schizophrenia is that um, there are genetic components, but then there's these epigenetic components, which is epigenetic components being all of the components in the environment that may trigger us to develop things. You know, it, our our genetics, instead of being like a code that, you know, goes straight from gene to expression to, so, you know, whatever you have in your genes, you automatically become. In, in reality, epigenetics shows us that based on our genetics, we're, we have different risks of being triggered by different things in the environment. That's what really what epigenetics is looking at. What are the environmental triggers that cause things that are abnormal or strange in our genes to become activated and to cause problems in our lives. And so, um, so that's likely what's happening um, in schizophrenia is that there are people that are at increased genetic risk. They might not get it, but if they get the right environmental triggers, they will develop schizophrenia. So there have been specific genes that have been looked at. There's these alpha-7 nicotinic receptors, DISC1, GRM3, COMT, like I talked about. So there's many different ways that, um, that your genes are involved um, in schizophrenia. Um, so as an idea, um, like I said, it affects about 1% of people in the United States on average. And really schizophrenia is, um, it's somewhat more common in people living in urban environments, but otherwise, and that's probably because of um, epigenetic triggers in the urban environments that make it higher risk. 
but otherwise it's present across um, you know all uh, human uh, groups across the world um, so uh, so there are a few sort of things that have been noticed that are really interesting about schizophrenia which is uh, first of all that it's been noticed that there's higher incidence of schizophrenia in those that are born in northern hemispheres between January and April so what's happening January to April well this is the um, late winter and early spring it's when viral infections are at their highest and so there's been theorized to be a role of viral infections in being an epigenetic trigger of developing schizophrenia um, similarly there's been um, an association between maternal starvation uh, during pregnancy and developing schizophrenia there was this Dutch hunger winter of 1944 and during this period there was this famine and so all these women that were pregnant at that time deliver their baby uh, were, were found to have a two-fold increase of schizophrenia um, during that time so uh, leading to the theory that maybe there's a role of starvation in it as well um, so uh, so let's talk a little bit about now kind of what's thought to be going on in schizophrenia. I talked about the genetic component of this and if you were to talk to most doctors, especially like primary care doctors that are sort of explaining to you in very general terms what's going on in schizophrenia, the most basic way of thinking about it or that most people think about it is a, is a problem of dopamine. So dopamine, like you've heard me talk about, is a, neuro, is a neurotransmitter it's very important in triggering our seeking behaviors. So, uh, you know, you can you can think about dopamine a lot as playing the role in addictions. People talk about dopamine as a um, as a pleasure neurotransmitter, but that's not true. It's not really about pleasure. That's that's really like the opioids and the and the endorphins, which is kind of like the orgasmic, you know, pleasure, um, you know, that you experience. But really. I, and I like to think about it in terms of like um, like sex because that's it's a good way to understand it. Dopamine is the excitement of kind of leading up to sex. It's like sort of like you know the go get it sort of neurotransmitter versus like I just said um, endorphins, opioids is kind of more of the uh, the euphoria of like an orgasm. And so um, anyway, so dopamine, although it's um, related to our kind of seeking behavior and excitement. Um, dopamine is also re related to um, movements um, and to hallucinations. So uh, dopamine is uh, understood well through Parkinson's disease. So people that have Parkinson's disease have low dopamine because of the, um, uh, usually due to the degradation of their substantia nigra, which is the part of the brain that produces most of the body's dopamine. And so uh, as you get less and less um, dopamine, what happens is people uh, their movements change. That's what's seen in Parkinson's disease. So you can develop tremors um, in Parkinson's disease. Um, they develop, um, uh, uh, you know, can, can develop like a pill rolling tremor. Uh, you can you get less facial movements. So that's mask-like faces. Um, so these people will kind of have less facial expressions. And then uh, you'll notice as they're walking, they have a like, kind of stooped gait and they shuffle their feet, taking very short steps. So that's Parkinson's disease. And the reason why the dopamine theory um, is, is related to depression is because we've seen that when people have too much dopamine, they act like they're psychotic. They act like they have schizophrenia. 
And so um, this is seen in Parkinson's disease when you give people dopamine, you can give them levodopa, carbidopa, levodopa is medication for um, Parkinson's. And if you give them too much, they can start hallucinating, they can start having um, abnormal beliefs, um, delusions. Um, so <clears throat> that can also similarly happen when you increase dopamine too much with stimulants. So some of the stimulants are, are kind of known as uppers out there. That would be like cocaine, methamphetamine, um, you know, um, Adderall or some, some of these sort of like stimulant medications. So if you take too much of those, you can also start to hallucinate, you can start to have delusions, um, and so you can start to act um, in a way similar to what can be seen in schizophrenia. So this is one of the reasons why it's believed that dopamine plays some role in schizophrenia, but there's, there's really evidence for just about every neurotransmitter playing some role in, in, um, in schizophrenia. Uh, for instance, uh, one of the most effective antipsychotic medications, medications given to stop schizophrenia or to treat schizophrenia, uh, is clozapine, which um, it actually works through, um, through adjusting serotonin function. So serotonin being another neurotransmitter that's likely involved. Um, so anyways, um, so th those are a few ways that um, the dopamine is understood to be um, involved in schizophrenia. So let's talk a little bit now about um, some different types of schizophrenia or related uh, diseases. So schizophrenia, <coughs> like I mentioned, can be understood and seen in many different ways. So um, one way that it can manifest is that somebody can sort of have a paranoid type of schizophrenia. So these are people um, who think that maybe their neighbors are watching them or that they're, uh, that the FBI is, is, is after them. So kind of having more paranoid um, type uh, delusions. There's disorganized types. This would be, you know, doing pointless behaviors, silly behaviors, making abnormal sort of grimaces or facial movements. Um, uh, without you know any good reason, they tend to appear more disheveled. Uh, there's there can be a catatonic type, which is what I was talking about before, where you sort of um, either you can have a kind of a sort of catatonia where you're uh, moving less, and so you're you know you can sort of spend the whole day sitting or lying in your bed without moving at all. Um, uh, and you know usually uh, this is important to know usually. Schizophrenia has an onset that's um, earlier in, in young adulthood. So uh, this is why, uh, you know, at, like at, at my hospital, my work in, in, in a lot of different hospitals, you see a lot of like college students um, and uh, young adults because it is most common for schizophrenia to um, appear, you know, in those young adult uh, ages. So um, for males, the it's around age average age of 10 to 25 um, and uh, you know re so really mostly around like that college age of sort of like 17 to like 23 is a higher risk period for men uh, again perhaps another reason why it's really good to avoid marijuana during that period and for women it tends to be slightly older uh, so there's a peak around ages 25 to 35 and then another peak in middle in uh, in middle age, um, so uh, as I was talking about before, uh, you can have late onset schizophrenia, which would be after age forty five, 
um, which is which happens more commonly in women. It's a lower type of lower risk type of schizophrenia. But um, schizophrenia can be sort of confused for other illnesses. So whenever you start to notice somebody acting delusional or hallucinating, um, you know, acting more disorganized, there are some very common things to consider that, to consider whether or not this might not really be schizophrenia. One thing would be substance-induced psychosis. So you can certainly become psychotic or start acting like you have schizophrenia when you're actively high on a certain drug. So that could be, like I said, you know, methamphetamines, uh, cocaine, different uppers like that, uh, or it's common with um, smoking marijuana. So aside from marijuana causing long-term chronic schizophrenia, uh, smoking marijuana can also, um, in the moment when you're high, make you uh, psychotic. Um, and then um, another common thing is delirium. So delirium, like you might think of in old folks who start acting very differently, um, this is very commonly seen when they're sick, when they're in the hospital, uh, that all of a sudden they start, you know, hallucinating, thinking that somebody is, you know, attacking them. They might start punching you, thinking that you're attacking them, even though you're their loved one. Um, so th that would be, um, that can happen in delirium. And so uh, it can seem like they are psychotic or maybe they have like late onset uh, schizophrenia, but that's not what that is. Um, and so one way that you can tell and this is kind of a nice trick, is to ask them uh, questions about, to see how oriented they are. So usually somebody that is schizophrenia, even though they might believe that the uh, that their neighbors have been watching them, or that they're out to get them, um, or that they might be hallucinating that they're seeing people in the corner of the room, uh, usually these people will be oriented to the world around them. So they can tell you their name, they can tell you the date, they can tell you where it is, and kind of and what's going on today or in the news or something like that. So somebody is schizophrenia, even though they think that their um, neighbor is watching them or has some plot against them, they'll be able to tell you, again, their name, uh, the date, where they are, what the situation is. And um, versus somebody that's delusional, that's in the hospital and they're, you know, they're punching you, thinking that you're um, you know, from the FBI attacking them. If you ask them, their name date they they they'll likely know what their name is but they might be way off on the date they might think that it's you know 1973 and they might think that you know i don't know who's president like reagan or something like that um and um you know they'll think that they're in their house they won't think that they're in the hospital so that's one trick for how to know whether somebody is experiencing uh, schizophrenia versus something like delirium so um so, like I mentioned, <clears throat> for somebody that may have schizophrenia, um, they go to a, a psychiatrist to be diagnosed, there's some things that, that one could look for that are maybe um, uh, puts the person at higher risk of that, you know, having developed schizophrenia. Aside from the marijuana, like I mentioned, um, it has been noted that there are some what are called pre-morbid findings, so some, some things that you notice in these people before they develop schizophrenia and that might be that they throughout their childhood have sort of isolative tendencies they like tend to you know like to be more on their own don't don't have much friends have sort of strange thinking that isn't necessarily psychotic but strange thinking throughout their sort of childhood and adolescence um, that they sort of dated less typically played less uh, sports had less friends 
sometimes OCD can be a prodrome of schizophrenia. So they're very um, either, you know, like to put things in, in different orders. They like to check locks. They like to wash their hands too often. Um, they felt, comp um, you know, compulsively like, like they had to uh, wash their hands or, um, you know, step on tiles in a certain way, something like that. Um, and then um, also there's been thought to be a relationship between those more interested in um, abstract ideas, philosophy, government, religion, kind of in those like adolescent, young adult years that those are people that are, you know, slightly um, more likely to develop schizophrenia. Um, so there's a few things that go along with schizophrenia. Um, so there can be emotional changes um, that can be related to schizophrenia. Um, so uh, there might be sort of reduced emotional responsiveness that so they just sort of are less emotional. They're kind of more dry and flat in their emotions. Um, and uh, there could also be uh, overly active or inappropriate emotions, kind of like rage, happiness, or anxiety. Um, so when you're talking with somebody that is schizophrenia, you might notice a few things about their speech or about their thoughts. And um, so usually when somebody's talking, their thoughts are uh, fluid. So one word comes after the other, it's linear. So one, you know, part of the sentence connects to the next part, connects to the next part of, you know, I left my house to go to the grocery store to get, um, you know, bananas and I walked into the grocery store to get the bananas and went to check out. It's very linear. You can track that um, as opposed to being tangential of, I went to the store to get uh, bananas and bananas are usually from Central America and Central America has, you know, a difficult history with the United States government, things like that. Um, and uh, the, you might notice neologisms, which is like made up word com combinations, um, uh, sort of, you know, using made up words or um, noting that uh, they're, um, they can be cir circumstantial so that they have sort of like these very long prologues So any, any question you ask them, like they might have a very long sort of prologue before answering your question. Um, so one misconception about people that have schizophrenia is that there's um, is that they're very violent or dangerous. So there is you know some risk um, of violence in somebody that has a delusion that um, that somebody's trying to attack them and that they need to defend themselves, and so they you know like always have a knife on them, thinking that this person is going to attack them, and then um, you know if that person did get close to them or something, that maybe they would feel. Uh, you know concerned so that's kind of the sort of instance where that would be like more dangerous but in general on average people with schizophrenia and this is very important to say people with schizophrenia are at the same risk of, uh, of violent behaviors as the general public so you know these people aren't more general or aren't more um, uh, you know violent than in, than the general um, public and um, uh, that's, that's important to know because there's so much stigma around so many different types of mental illness around depression and um, and so it's it's important not to feel scared but nevertheless like I just said um, 
we should, if we have a loved one, if we have family, friend members or ourselves, we start to notice that we are feeling like, um, or like somebody that has schizophrenia is feeling like somebody's, you know, attacking them and they're around that person a lot, um, then it, it might be worth, you know, uh, t talking that over with your doctor to make sure that everyone's uh, safe, because that would be the sort of instance where it may be a little bit more dangerous. Um, but again, same um, risk as the general public. So there, these. So um, if you or a loved one, you know, has schizophrenia, there's no reason to to think that um, that they're a more dangerous sort of person. Um, so uh, one thing that's really important to talk about is that there is that in general, um, people with schizophrenia live for much uh, less time, um, and so. Uh, I believe that the figure is around 20 years on average less than the general public that somebody with schizophrenia lives. So um, that is that is serious and there's a really big difference and something that I hope we can make progress in turning around. But so why is it that people with schizophrenia live 20 years less? Well, the first thing is that there's a very high comorbidity of, um, of cigarette and drug use in people that um, have schizophrenia. So uh, so, um, so a very high percentage of, of people with schizophrenia smoke um, cigarettes and smoke uh, very heavily. Uh, so of course that increases your risk of, of um, lung cancer and of uh, you know, atherosclerosis or vascular disease, um, hardening of your arteries. So, uh, so that's one of the big risks. Um, but because of the other drug use, you know, there's uh, higher rates of HIV AIDS, um, there's um, higher risk as well of just uh, poor diet and so that can lead to metabolic metabolic illness um, so uh, and and actually part of this is related to medications as well so um, we'll talk about medications in a little bit but medications antipsychotics are really really important and really beneficial for the treatment of schizophrenia and nevertheless there are some antipsychotics that can increase um, your your cholesterol um, and put you at higher risk of, of uh, diabetes and things like that. So people on, with schizophrenia need to be more, um, a lot more vigilant about their, uh, you know, their metabolic risk factors or kind of how much exercise and dieting they're they're doing. Um, so uh, a few things before we talk about the, a little bit more about those treatments. So I mentioned how schizophrenia is diagnosed, and I mentioned some of the medical causes that that can um, or some of the medical things that can um, uh, look a lot like schizophrenia but um, another thing uh, that there's there's several other um, illnesses or disorders that are kind of like cousins to schizophrenia so that'd be a brief psychotic disorder so this is if somebody kind of has schizophrenia like symptoms but it's lasting for like only a day to a month that'd be a brief psychotic disorder somebody could have schizophrenia if, schizophreniform disorder if it's lasting from one to six months and then of course like I said schizophrenia if it's greater than six months um, additionally if somebody tends to have like depression that goes along with it or they have increased energy or mania going along with their schizophrenia then that would be schizoaffective disorder and then there's delusional disorders which like I said with delusions they're non-bizarre beliefs that are held contrary to ev evidence persisting for greater than one month uh, so this would be you know, not necessarily hallucinations like you'd see in schizophrenia um, or, uh, 
or like uh, acting more disorganized, but in delusional disorders, they, there's just um, a fixed delusion that regardless of how much evidence you present to the person, they don't change their mind um, about this abnormal belief. So uh, unfortunately, the prognosis, um, well, fortunately or unfortunately, the, the prognosis for schizophrenia uh, can be bad, but can be a lot better with treatment. So um, in, in people that, uh, that get treatment, all of the antipsychotic medications, so these are medications that mostly act on dopamine to treat schizophrenia. Um, some of them act a little bit more on serotonin, uh, but they all um, have, you know, kind of act on, on dopamine to some degree. These medications have a pretty good response for schizophrenia. It's around 66% that there's real clinical improvement in somebody's schizophrenia from the medication. So two thirds of people when you're on antipsychotics, taking them regularly, you can have significant improvements. And really what this looks like is about 25% of people who are in treatment get completely um, better and are kind of living a totally quote unquote normal life. The other 25% are living more or less normal life, so some support. And then about half of people um, might might not you know be able to, to sort of uh, live a quote-unquote normal life or have you know uh, significant improvement. So why is it that if two-thirds of people get better with anti with um, antipsychotics, that there's um, you know that about half of people end up still um, not being able to live a normal life? And there's a few reasons for that. One of the one of those reasons is that um, the compliance with treatment. <clears throat> in general is pretty low. So one very common issue is that, you know, people who have schizophrenia or related, you know, mental illness that are on antipsychotic medications, they stop taking them because they notice that they're feeling better or they stop taking them because they can't tolerate the side effects and they um, they feel like either they're putting on weight or that they uh, are feel have like cloudy, they feel cloudy minded or that, um, they're kind of too sleepy, and so they stop taking the medications. But anyways, it's very common, it's around half of people are uh, estimated to be non-compliant or not taking their medications regularly uh, within a year of, of starting them. For that reason, about half of people with schizophrenia um, you know, still um, are, are you know, dealing with ongoing psychotic symptoms um, uh, you know, after they start their treatment. But in people that are taking medications as prescribed regularly, like I said, about two-thirds of them have significant improvements. Um, so that's important to keep in mind. So, you know, so talking about these treatments, so if somebody is actively, you know, psychotic, they're very ill, they're, uh, you know, they're having, they're very disorganized, they're having a lot of these hallucinations. Um, for people like that, hospitalization can be a really good way to, um, to, get them treatment quickly and get them back to where they need to be to be living in the community. So in the hospital, usually what happens is um, uh, the person is brought in, they're started back on the medication that maybe they stopped that led them to become psychotic. Um, and then uh, they're, they're, you know, usually a plan is come up with, uh, with like social workers involved and family involved to um, help to make sure that the uh, patient has like group therapy or has 
um, you know, some sort of ongoing social engagement um, along with, you know, taking their medications regularly when they leave so that they can go back to living a quote-unquote normal life. Um, but um, aside from uh, the hospitalization, um, usually, you know, taking these medications is a very important you know, part of, of doing well. There are some, you know, other interventions that have some evidence. There's some evidence for fish oil being helpful. Um, there's some evidence, uh, again, not with like very good evidence, but there are low um, uh, risk interventions related to um, branched chain amino acids, ginkgo biloa, um, vitamin E or melatonin. Um, again, not high quality uh, evidence for those but uh, and then for there being family therapy so getting the family involved setting expectations so that they know like what it looks like when somebody is starting to become um, ill again and to um, bring them to treatment um, and um, and then you, you know there might be individual or group therapy to help people with schizophrenia on their social skills or on sort of um, helping them to be able to uh, get the skills they need to be able to hold a job and um, and have you know good uh, social relationships and things like that. So um, so those things, in addition to the medication, you know, can be very effective for people as long as we're able to keep you know people involved in their in their treatment and keep taking their medications. Um, there can be a pretty high you know likelihood of of doing better. So that's a little run through of schizophrenia. Um, if there's a few takeaways. Um, for you know for today and for this episode what I want it to be is that first of all schizophrenia is a very difficult chronic long-term illness and so if you have schizophrenia um, there's there's unfortunately there's there's risks associated with general health there's uh, on average about a 20-year decrease in life expectancy there's a higher risk of self-harm and suicide as well um, so this is something that we really want to uh, prevent as much as possible. So we can prevent schizophrenia by being careful and with um, particularly marijuana use in adolescence and young adulthood, avoiding also like stimulant drugs um, like methamphetamines or cocaine that could cause uh, psychotic illness. Um, so it can be prevented in these ways and then uh, also to be just mindful about your genetic risk and knowing sort of your family's genetic risk if you have uh, you know um, siblings or parents or cousins or aunts and uncles to be mindful of whether or not you might be at increased genetic risk of developing the illness so that would be one thing um, and then the other thing other than prevention would be to uh, treat effectively if you are somebody that has schizophrenia or if you have a loved one that has schizophrenia and that would be through getting you know connected with a psychiatrist and a therapist um, taking medications regularly and you know communicating about any discomforts that you have with the medication so that you don't stop abruptly and rather can switch to something else um, get involved in group therapy and sort of social supports and and hopefully do well so um, I hope with this you have a better understanding of schizophrenia and that if you were to be asked by somebody what it is, you don't think it's split personality, which is dissociative identity disorder, which we can talk about in another episode. Uh, it's not split um, um, identity. It's rather related to uh, having delusions, hallucinations, or uh, another, you know, one of these constellations of symptoms happening for over uh, six months. 
and it's something that is treatable and that hopefully you can have hope for if you have this or a loved one has this. So I hope this is helpful. And as always, please like, subscribe, share this with your family and friends. Um, and uh, let me know if you have any questions or anything else that I can touch upon in other episodes. Have an awesome day. Hey listeners, some of you have so kindly asked how you can support the podcast. You can help by supporting us on Patreon, so please kindly find our Patreon link in the show notes. You can also support us by leaving a review, so please let me know what you think about the show by leaving a review on iTunes. You can find me on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook as Dr. Nissen. And it's important to note that this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. And the use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is content of this podcast and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.